also, I can tell you that a, a growing number of Premier League clubs are open to playing the remaining fixtures at neutral venues. Uh, but with the threat of relegation removed, hmm, it looks like top flight clubs have been told that using up to 10 neutral stadiums will be the only way to complete the season. Now, here's the BBC's Tom Gale. Friday's Premier League meeting saw all clubs told using up to 10 neutral stadiums would be the only way to complete the season. Brighton were quick to object to this with their chief executive Paul Barber saying they are not in favour of the format because it may affect the integrity of the competition. In contrast though, Crystal Palace chairman Steve Parrish says football should at least contemplate whether or not this proposal is possible in order for the action to resume. While BBC Sport understands a growing number of top flight clubs are open to impartial venues but only if the threat of relegation is scrapped. Those near the bottom of the table are concerned that a neutral arena combined with playing behind closed doors and the ongoing uncertainty over player availability amongst those whose contracts expire at the end of June would make for a vastly different situation to those encountered during the first 28 or 29 games of the season. If there is no relegation, two or three sides could still be promoted from this year's championship, leading to an expanded number of top flight teams for the following season. The all right, so the Premier League has been suspended now, as you know, since the 13th of March. And despite no definitive return date, all clubs remain committed to playing the remaining 92 games of the season. And if and when it is safe to do so now, Southampton manager Rolf Hazenote uh, says that the crisis has enabled his coaching staff to conduct a much more thorough analysis of their performance to help them prepare for a return of action. We have now the time to analyze a season, although it, it isn't finished. And this normally you don't have. And you can go in, in, the, in the detailed analyze. And therefore, you, you can make the, the right decisions, hopefully, for the last nine games. And that can make a big difference if you are maybe top 10 team or, or falling back in relegation battles. So this is what a chance, an opportunity you, you have got. If you want, this is the positive thing of the riders, that you have a chance to, to analyze better. Marawa Sports Worldwide. Lucas Rodeby. It was absolutely freezing, bro. I mean, you can imagine coming from Soweit. You don't even see the sun for ages. You know, you get up on a missile, but. I pray for better days to come. I pray that I would see the sun. When is the sun shining? The Letting off the steam after an emotional roller coaster of a weekend. Feeling any discomfort? It's time for Reaction Monday with Robin Marawa. Let's hope for an enthralling contest between these two footballing teams. One representing Africa, the other representing Conmebol and South America. Brilliant ball from Baniga. Is this the opener? Yes, it is! That's what they came to see! And he's provided the touch as the arms are reached up to the gods. Stylish finish, which Maradona himself would have been proud of. He's saying his prayers, Argentina's prayers have just been answered by the little man. Oh, a yellow card given, and uh, Nigeria will have the opportunity from the penalty spot. 
Moses scores for Nigeria. They're level. The Africans hit back and the whole of Argentina is stunned here. This group stage takes another twist. There could be another dodgy moment for Argentina though. It is Musa. He is one-on-one. And the ball is in the... Oh, terrible mistake! And a terrible miss as well. Every pass becomes important. They need a brilliant ball from somebody. They've got their goal! Argentina lives on! What a moment here! Argentina have taken the lead for the second time on the night. And this is what it means. And... uh, it's all over. Argentina have done it. They've survived a major scare. Nigeria one, Argentina two. <laughs> oh man, who would ever forget that game? Nigeria versus Argentina, and I can tell you that there's no experience in world football that can match the thrill of a live match. Nothing. Take it from me. So when a fan has to be content with just watching his or her idol on the screen, you cannot see the superstars are brought to life by the mesmerizing words of a commentator. Trust me, commentator's role, powerful. And I know plenty of you, plenty of you fans, just like me, normal football fan, who wouldn't mind skipping a game to be in the company of this veteran broadcaster. And I checked earlier today and I was like, what? Over... 5,500 games and 10 FIFA World Cups under his belt has witnessed countless goals. I guess a lot of victories, defeats, plenty of drama that he has witnessed firsthand. A familiar name, a familiar voice. You've just heard it. John Helms being added in the beautiful game from the likes of Diego Maradona lifting the trophy while being carried around by uh, mortals. Uh, for his compatriot, Lionel Messi, squandering a chance a couple of decades later and passing the buck to the young Mario Gotze to chest and volley Japan to glory. I mean, th- those are all part and parcel of what John Helm has been all about and through a lot of hard work and fastidious preparation. He is by far one of the most oh, venerable of commentators with an insanely distinct voice that's loved and respected across the globe. My goodness. I had to kind of bite my upper lip at getting the opportunity to chat to one of my favorites as well. John Helm, thank you so much for your time. Good evening. Welcome to Marawa Sports Worldwide. Oh, good evening, Robert. The the pleasure is all mine, believe it or not, and you've been doing your research. 5,500 games are still counting, by the way, I hope. Yes, of course it's going to be still counting, John. We, we can never lose you in the beautiful game. I know when your voice is behind the commentary, I know it's an official FIFA game, and nobody can take that away from you. Congratulations on a massive milestone, and being the kind of human being that you are, we, we love the work that you do, and thank you so much for taking time and just sharing with us here in South Africa during Lockdown Radio. Well, thank you. Uh, I think I've been an extremely lucky man because I've been pursuing a hobby, really, for over 60 years now. I mean, who, if somebody was said to me as a little boy, you can commentate on sport and you can travel the world for 60 years if you fancy it, I think I'd have snapped their hand off and I'm still doing it, as I said. So I, I'm the one who's been lucky. I've been reasonably healthy, still am, thankfully. Uh, yeah. and, and what a wonderful 
thing to be able to, as I say, travel the world and see the great sportsmen in all the different sports as well, because I have covered Olympic Games as well as football, so I've seen the best, uh, and you can't ask for more than that. But how, how does that hobby, and when did that hobby sort of kick in? Because a lot of grades kind of tell you that they've been at the game since they were young. Yes, I never believed that they would be intrinsically involved as they have up until now. And I think you've pretty much said a similar thing where it is your passion and your passion is now transferred uh, to all of us around the world. At, at what age, if you still remember though, John, did this whole love of football and sport come to being? Well, I think some people would think I was crazy, but uh, believe it or not, apparently when I was five years of age, I used to dribble the tennis ball to school, and my teacher, Mrs. Dunwell at the time, I even remember her name, said wow. that even then I was saying I wanted to be a commentator, I wanted to talk about sport, I wanted to commentate on cricket matches and football matches, and then I think the next important thing that really happened to me was at the age of eight, uh, I had to start wearing spectacles, uh, and unless I was going to be a Jeffrey Boycott or an Eddie Barlow and play cricket with spectacles, that was my best game as a sportsman. Uh, I think I pretty well knew I was not going to make it as a professional sportsman, and not just the next best thing, but an even better thing to pursue, as I say, a hobby f uh, for, for so many years, would be to talk about it. And so I've, literally I've talked about sport from the age of oh, six, seven, eight years of age. And that's fantastic, isn't it? I mean, that's amazing because ultimately I would imagine that you wanted to play the game, hence the tennis ball, hence the dribbling. How good a player were you? Yes, I did. Well, I was a decent cricketer. I played in the Bradford League uh, and I've, I've actually batted against some, some test players. Uh, and I remember a lot of star cricketers coming to play for my local team, Bailden. Uh, in fact, there was a, an actress, Jill Adams, I remember her coming, along with yes. celebrities like Toei Tayfield. Hugh, Hugh Toei Tayfield from South Africa played at my cricket club at Bailden. Uh, and so I was a decent cricketer, but uh, I got some bad advice as a boy. I was a leg spinner, taking a lot of wickets, and then the coach of Yorkshire, who lived in the same street as me, a fellow called Arthur Mitchell, said, John, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to be an off-spinner because Yorkshire don't employ leg spinners. They're too expensive. And it was actually the worst advice he could have given me because I became <laughs> one of a thousand. As a footballer, I scored a lot of goals as a centre-forward, as a boy, uh, but never managed to, but I think I knew, uh, you couldn't have a centre forward wearing glasses, could you really, let's be honest, the only man who's ever <laughs> worn glasses that I know professionally was uh, a goalkeeper for Preston North End back in the 1930s, so it was never going to happen for me as a footballer. Uh, once I'd decided that uh, I wasn't going to be a professional cricketer, that was it, because although I do play golf, I play very, very badly. And by the way, uh, one of my outstanding memories of coming to South Africa was having a wonderful round of golf at the Pearl Valley Country Club in Pal. That was one of oh. my favorite days in life. And believe it or not, I've also sat in on a South African Test Selection Committee meeting when I was uh, over there in Durban many years ago. So I've got very fond memories of times in South Africa. That is amazing. What made Pearl Valley so special for you? Because, I mean, it's, it's one of those really exotic type of, I mean, it's a beautiful backdrop and scenery and everything else. What for you stood out? I was playing with an absolute gent of a gentleman who had been an outstanding sportsman himself, and I had no idea that he had a claim to fame, and that was 
that he'd missed a vital kick in a Kerry Cup match, uh, for which he told me he was ever to, ever to be Joel Stransky! That's the boy! Stransky, <laughs> uh, and I played, uh, he played off a handicap of one. And his son, who was going to Newcastle University at the time as well, wow. were just a oh, superb company. Uh, and I just took in the exotic golf course. Of course, Jeffrey Boycott has a house built on that golf course, uh, round about the 17th, I think it is. Uh, yes. So it's it just, just one of those fond memories of, of South Africa. Um, uh, and there were so many. I interviewed Nelson Mandela when I was over there once doing a program called Crossing New Boundaries, which was about the visit of Yorkshire County Cricket Club to Cape Town. So, as I say, fondness is a word that I associate very regularly with my trips to your country. And how was that interview? What, what year was that, uh, John, overall, just in terms of the Madiba interview? Yes, it was uh, only shortly after sanctions were lifted. You probably know the yeah. actual year better than I would. It was only a couple of years after he'd uh, come out of, of Robin Island. Uh, and as I say, the sanctions had been lifted. Yorkshire came and they played yeah. in Cape Town. They played at, I think it was, they called him Dave Mackay's 11 at a, a ground near Stellenbosch. Uh, and uh, it was a very brief interview, but believe it or not, I am actually looking at the photograph now in my house. I have a photograph, somebody had the presence of mind to take a picture of myself interviewing Madiba, and it is on my wall, along with a gentleman called Rushti Majit, who yes, had picked Majid, up the yeah. interview and who came to England to play cricket in the Lancashire League. That is crazy. I mean, would you? I don't know, are you on social media much, uh, John? Well, <laughs> in this day and age, uh, and, uh, I am a working man, so I have to, I've become that uh, far more in the last two years than ever before. And recently, you would know about this, on Facebook, uh, people post challenges for people to submit 10 photographs depicting outstanding moments in their life. And yes. I did that recently, and I finished with the picture of myself and Nelson Mandela, and I think it got, I don't know, five or 600 views and comments. So wow. I was quite pleased with that, quite secretly. Well, let's, let's get more views. And uh, I'm going to ask uh, my producer to, uh, to get that for me. If not directly from you, then I can post it on, on, um, on, on, on Twitter as well so that we can give people a, a broader perspective. I, I really think it's fascinating because it almost sounds like you've been living in this country. I mean, you talk about Stellenbosch and Pearl Valley. You talk about Joel Stransky and you talk mm. about the crossing, the new boundary. Yeah, I mean, you talk like, you know, you're one of us now, John. Can we claim you uh, to be? <laughs> can we have you commentate uh, one of our, our local two, derbies? I have two more highlights as well. Uh, one is I commentated on Ernie Els winning the South Africa Open because uh, golf is one of my great passions and I commentated on the European Golf Tour along with one of your favorite sons for me anyway, Dennis Hutchinson. What a great yes. man, Hutch. And he and I commentated together on Ernie Els winning the South African Open. Uh, I got to play down at the Durban Country Club as well. Uh, so that was another very, very uh, favorite memory. Uh, and, of course, I commentated on the World Cup final where uh, Spain won it for the only time in their history uh, against Holland. And I also came over there uh, and interviewed uh, Willie Watson, a former Yorkshire and England cricketer who became a chicken farmer uh, in your country. So, yeah, we've got quite a few connections going back over the years.
That is a deep history. John, I'm going to ask you to stay on hold. We need to quickly break away for a news update now at the top of the hour. And uh, we'll take any of your voice notes, 0605842250. John Helm is my guest, is, uh, well, chatting to me on Lockdown Radio. Marawa, hey, Sport Worldwide coming through live from somewhere, someplace, somehow. And we're making it happen. We'll play a couple of... um, commentaries as well from john just to remind you of the man behind the voice such a distinct voice and such a great honor such a great pleasure uh, for him to share his uh, moments with us right here on Mara sports worldwide it has gone top of the hour i'm Bazo here in Ghana near orkney the question that i really love to ask the gentleman guy is that in 2014 fifa world cup when he was commentating a match between nigeria and argentina what was his core prediction i thank you Hi, Robert. Um, yeah, you are chatting with the legend there. You are talking with the legend there, John Helm. Um, yeah, I remember him as far back as 2002 when I was like 15 years old. Um, yeah, he did commentary on a game between France and Senegal where France lost 1-0. Great commentary there. I just want to find out from me how much um, research does he do on, 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 on players um, before he does commentary because he seems to know everything or a lot about players thank you Robert. senegal with a win and a draw colombia with a defeat and a win so the position is delicate in this table and here it is oh it's a good save Ndaye down to his right, Tallman, and here is a big, big chance for them to take the lead, and is that a penalty kick? It is, it's the first menacing attack that the Senegalese have mustered, not always there will be a VAR review, here it is, at the, uh, the review, and then all eyes on the referee, already taken, and here's a header! The stadium absolutely erupts here. Another set-piece goal, another late goal coming in the 74th minute. As it stands, it is Japan going through on fair play alongside with Colombia, who will have six points. Senegal, I'm not sure how much the players will be told of, of that. That's not a bad ball in, so we're here for the Colombian defence. And saved as Spina with the stop. Senegal are coming on strong again, as you would expect. It's all over. It's another victory for South America. Uruguay, Brazil, Argentina, Colombia all go through. I'm afraid Africa all over. <laughs> yeah all over for africa but it's not all over as far as our conversation with john helm is concerned uh, we're looking at twitter as well um cool guy says great commentator he is i've been reading up on him for the last two years simply because of his distinctive voice on fifa tournaments his voice brings back memories from the 2010 world cup oh. I think it does for a lot of us, uh, that 2010 World Cup. And I think a lot of us, as far as John Helm is concerned. Uh, John, just a couple of voice notes. And thank you so much for holding on and for your patience. Um, one of our voice notes was asking about the Nigeria-Argentina game. I don't know if you give score predictions beforehand or do you do that personally and privately? 
<laughs> yeah, some very good questions there, by the way. What about research as well? Yes. Uh, I, I treat every game with equal importance, to be honest with you, and uh, I try not to go into too many prophecies because you can be left with egg on your face. But yeah. it basically, for every single game I go into, uh, I'd spend about six hours, I would have thought, researching the players, making sure I've got the pronunciations of the, the, the names right. Because some people say, but once you've done, say, Nigeria in that tournament, you don't need to research them again for the next game. Well, you do, because every game is different to whether a player has scored against that opposition before, whether it's his birthday. There are all sorts of different facets uh, to, to commentary. But really, the... the answer is it's never ending the research i mean qatar is coming up hopefully in 2022 and i will already be writing down names of players now all the countries that might qualify uh, i've just done fifa tournaments for example in brazil the under 17 world cup and poland the under 20 world cup as well as the east asian championship in korea and so i have to have a book for every single tournament, every single country that might play you know, might not play, and every single player who might play or might oh. not play, whether you know, their ages and their clubs and everything like that. So but fortunately I don't mind spending a lot of time in hotel rooms researching and then love it when I get out and absolutely revel in it when I get to the stadium. Oh, beautiful. I mean, that, that's a thing about research though and preparation and when you talk about six hours per game that is incredible because that is how you get the fluidity of how you do things. And at times, though, John, and it will be great for you to share this because we've got a lot of uh, commentators that really are listening to the show, uh, but others that would love to be commentators in the future. And I'm just reading a couple of tweets just now. And that level of preparedness, how, how does that settle down for you? Because all I say it's better to over-prepare than to under-prepare because for that next game it almost becomes second nature because half of that preparation that you did for that game you did not use. That's absolutely true um, but it's awfully rewarding. In fact you have to go into every match understanding that you may only use 10% of the information that you've garnered uh, but that's just part of the game and it's better to have it there on standby in case something happens. I remember once doing a game, don't ask me who it was between, and there was one player playing, he'd only ever scored one goal in his entire career in something like 495 appearances, and would you believe it, he scored on that particular day against the same opposition 15 years on. Uh, and that is when it is rewarding, and you have to accept that much of it is, is going to be it's not wasted, because it's there, it's in the back of your mind. Uh, and the other aspect I would just like to emphasize, well, two actually, one is about the pronunciation. I will never forget doing a game of Poland's in the 1982 World Cup Finals, and their goalkeeper was spelt M-L-Y-N-C-Z-A-R-E-K. It looked like Mlinczarek. <laughs> so another part of the preparation, you get hold of somebody from Poland on that instance, say, how on earth do you pronounce this man's name? And it was Muinarczyk. It didn't look a bit like it sounded, but you have to do that. Uh, and the aspect about young, up-and-coming, budding commentators, and by the way, keep going, it's the best job in the world, is I always say... Just be yourself. Let your own personality shine through the commentary because that's the way you will get on. That's the best advice I can ever give to any young commentator. Just be yourself. Mm. 
and that critical stage, I think it was around about 1992, John, uh, when ITV lost the rights uh, for the top flight English football. What did that signify for you and what kind of major decisions did you have to make? Very good question, because obviously you realize that the massive part of your life is about to change and, and it's something has been taken away from you. Uh, at the moment, we're finding it very difficult because there are no games to go to. For the first time in my life, I have nothing in the diary, which is horrible. So when we lost the, the rights to the, uh, to, to the football that we had been showing for years, then you have to think, well, I still want to be involved in this business. How do I go about it? And I was extremely fortunate because uh, that was around about the time that a, a former working colleague of mine had gone to work for UEFA as opposed to FIFA, and he asked me if I'd like to get involved in commentaries of Champions League matches. Uh, and I also used to write for the Mail on Sunday in this country. I still do, actually, all those years on. I still write for the Mail on Sunday. So it still gave me the opportunity to stay within the sport, to go to matches on a Saturday, to express my feelings in newsprint, and also to cover all the big European matches as well. So as one door closed, another one really did open for me. And you've got the luck has to be involved as well. But I always believe that if you try to get along with people along the way, then hopefully that will play a big part because you'll still be wanted. Hopefully yes. still am. Yeah, I think a lot of people again, and I'm glad you hung on to that, John. I mean, like I said, it's amazing how a voice changes so many things and we have regular conversations here with peter drury with martin tyler and and all of those greats that have done this job i think we had a chat last week with john champion as well and the the fascinating thing is in 2010 because that is our great moment here in south africa and and your voice being heard right around the world as the main commentator for the fifa uh, english language world feed um, right here in South Africa meant a great deal for us. I don't know about you because, as I said, that you've become part and parcel of South Africa as well as what happens here and the people that you associate with. But as a host nation for the very first time on this continent, did you get a sense, and please share this with us, of how that felt for you? You working, yes. But here's this country that has never, and this continent that has never held a, a, a World Cup before. I mean, it was ridiculous for us in terms of just excitement and craziness and the buzz. Yeah, it was freezing cold. It was not the best. It was like a Germany World Cup with people drinking beer and walking around bare-chested and, and so on. But just describe as a person walking in. Yeah, I'm very conscious of the fact that I have that association with South Africa, and I'm very grateful for that and for you bringing this up. Uh, I came the year before to do the Confederations Cup, and so I went to Rustenburg and did games there. Uh, went to Sun City and played a bit of golf. Uh, did games in uh, Johannesburg and Pretoria. Did, went to Ellis Park and things like that. But even then, I got a massive sense of association between myself and the people of the country, and I did a number of television interviews. Uh, and yes, as the voice of FIFA, uh, you have a particular responsibility, and you are spreading the gospel, if you like, across the entire world for, for this 
fantastic kaleidoscope of sport which South Africa was putting on. And I also came to the draws, you know, when the draw for the World Cup, uh, the preliminary in Durban and then in Cape Town as well. Uh, and I got a real feel for the country. And that has continued since because a, a company called uh, Video Vision asked me to go back the following year to Durban and they made a film with me as well. Uh, and that association has continued in, in many, many ways. And I appreciate the fact that you're ringing me here at this time now. Here we are, 10 years on, and yet it is yeah. still one of my favorite World Cups. And I say that genuinely. Uh, very, very, very fond memories of a lot of the games that I covered and the people I met. And, and I like to think that association is ongoing. And that is perhaps why we're talking today. No. Yeah, Oof. I'm going to come back and ask about that ridiculous thing you did, John, <laughs> where you where recited the names of all the 92 football league clubs in 26 seconds. Crazy stuff. John Helm, my uh, guest. Yeah, we're going to, we're going to take a, <laughs> we'll take a quick break, John. I think that uh, I'm an anorak. Uh, I have to put I am in some ways. But that was just one of those funny things that evolved as a result of a program on, on radio in yeah. England. And by the way, you don't ask me to do it, but I can name all the rugby league teams as well, about 36 of those. Cricket's very easy. 18 championship teams takes about three seconds. But it's just part of the fun of the industry, isn't it? Something like that. But it is strangely something that people remember and associate you with. <laughs> well, I certainly remember that. And if we can do something that crazy when we come back from the break, it'll be great. John Helm, my guest. Hi, this is Temba Koza from, from First Loras. We are speaking to the legend, very, very good commented. The one and the only, very good commented. Please ask him when, when he's going to come and commentate game between Ondo Palace and Kegashis. Ondo Debi Baba. Good, 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 Marao. Nice show. Yeah, Robert, I just want to ask a classic question to the gentleman that you are hosting today. Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo? Simple as that. Thank you. Hi, Robert. Uh, Joe here in, uh, from Pretoria. Just a question, a quick question to him as, you know, a great guy indeed. Uh, great, uh, as, as you say, Robert, uh, one, one enjoys a match because part of it is, that makes it good is a commentary. Can just a few points. Um, Martin Tyler and, and all other colleagues, uh, very great guys as well. How do they relate to the, their friends? Do they share notes uh, 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 um, uh, and things like that? And then also just two points as well. Um, what are his great disappointments, uh, you know, during his during his work uh, commentary, and the, the greatest uh, you know games that he would uh, or one game that he would ever you know. Um, you know, imagine or, or, or remember for a very, very long time. Thank you. Thank you, Robert. Good evening, Mr. Marawa. With John's experience of traveling around the world for over 60 years, I just want to ask him a question. How does he balance his personal life with what he does? And then which is what I think he loves? Because he just mentioned that it's his hobby to do commentary all over around the world. Chiridzia from Pretoria.
Uh, beautiful stuff. Thank you so much for the questions. Hey, John Helm's got everybody excited in this country right now. Uh, a man who will be celebrating his birthday shortly, eh? 8th of July. Uh, happy birthday in advance, though, John. We wish we'd be there to celebrate with you, eh? Thank you very much. A, a glass of um, South African white wine would go down very nicely on July the 8th, I think. Yeah, nothing wrong with an Ernie Else blend, what do you think? <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> Taken at Erinvale or somewhere like that on Neisner. <laughs> we'll, make, we'll make sure it gets to you. Quick one. we got all of, what, uh, four minutes left of the show. Uh, Tamber on uh, the voice notes was asking, would you ever consider coming down to do a South African derby kinds of Chiefs Orlando Pirates? Oh, my goodness. That would be a dream come true. I missed out, and I was furious when I came over to South Africa for one of the draws I referred to. There was a game on, I think, between uh, the Pirates and, and the Chiefs. And they wouldn't let me go to it because I had to do a dress rehearsal. Uh, the consolation was Charlize Theron was doing it, so that was that was helpful. Uh, but I missed out on doing that game, and so I never saw them. So uh, I've oh. not seen uh, too much domestic football apart from Manning Rangers I once saw play in, in Durban. Oh, I saw them play at Vich University. Uh, Gordon Eggerson is the coach. That's absolutely right, and uh, he invited me into the dressing room, and that was on the same day I mentioned about going to the test meeting, uh, the selection committee meeting, and they brought Andrew Hudson back in, and Ernie Els oh. won the golf as well. That was one of the best days of my entire life. So That's certainly crazy. I would consider coming back. In fact, I'd be on the next plane now if there was one leaving. <laughs> Tell me, though, was that the draw that was conducted down in Durban and they decided to bring the Soweto Derby uh, down to Durban for a change and there was a certain right. gentleman by the name of Excellent Walaza who scored uh, an incredible uh, goal there for Orlando Pirates back then. That was, was that the, the draw occasion. in Durban? Yes, it was, and I've never forgotten it. I've never forgotten the ceremony for the draw because yeah. they brought in giraffes and camels and everything, and it, it, no expense spared by FIFA on that occasion, not for the only time, I suppose. Uh, and so that was absolutely unforgettable, as was the Shabalala goal. And one of my regrets, somebody oh. was asking me about uh, any regrets I had, was not doing the opening match of that World Cup. Uh, I was given the final, which is quite a good consolation yeah. prize, isn't it? But Dave Woods had the honour of commentating on uh, Shabalala's goal. Messi or Ronaldo was another question. I heard that. Quick answer for you. Messi for me, for one reason, he never complains. He always gets up every time he's tackled, even from behind. He scores goodness knows how many hat-tricks per season. Ronaldo is a different type of player, but I always get the feeling with Cristiano Ronaldo that if somebody else scores, he's a bit sullen about it. He wants to score every goal himself. Fantastic talent, but put me on the spot. I go Messi. And Joe asked the question whether yourself, people like Martin Tyler, do you guys share notes? Do you get together? Are you guys even friends? We do. Uh, I don't see a great deal of Martin. He lives down in the south of, of England. I live in the north in, in Bradford. Uh, but the, the other commentators I get to quite regularly with Dave Woods, who I just mentioned, funnily enough, and John Murray, who is the BBC's football correspondent on BBC Radio, we meet uh, Alistair Yeomans, John Champion occasionally, and Ian Dennis, who is another top football man for BBC. We get together in Harrogate or York, 
And we have a little glass or two. I don't mind admitting that. We, we're good company for one another. All commentators get on really well, believe it or not. I think it's because we appreciate the jobs we do and how lucky we are to be doing them. And that final question had to do with balancing your personal life. I mean, how, how much of this has affected, as it should, your personal life? Right. Well, very strange that at the moment it's seven, well, it's eight weeks since I last saw football kicked, which was in India. I commentate on the Hero Indian Super League, and I did the final behind closed doors uh, between Atletico de Kolkata and Chennaiyan, uh, and I've not seen a ball kicked since. But strangely enough, my wife has found innumerable household jobs that I didn't know I was capable <laughs> of doing. So today has been, <laughs> I've been cleaning the bathroom. I've even taken up gardening. I've tidied out the hut. So I've even baked a rhubarb crumble. How wow. sad it is that. And I always think that journalists or broadcasters should be exempt from all these tasks because we're not very good at them, but I'm certainly doing my best. But I can't wait to get back to the day job. <laughs> I can well imagine what's happening in that household, John. I want to thank you so much, John, from the bottom of my heart. This has truly been a wonderful journey. Lots of positive uh, vibes that are going on on social media right now in terms of this interview and everything that you mean to the sport of uh, football as a whole. And we just wanted to say thank you. You know, sometimes you don't get a chance when you're busy. Maybe thanks to lockdown, thanks to lockdown radio, we get that opportunity to squeeze in uh, our appreciation of your craft and the many, many years of dedication uh, that you've given the world of football. And, and what an incredible human being you are. Thank you so much, John. Really appreciate but this moment. It's been my delight. And yes, there is a bonus to, to lockdown then. Uh, and may I take you up on that offer? I'll just, I would love to come back to South Africa and to commentate on a match like that. The Orlando Pirates and Kaiser Chiefs would be a dream come true for me. I'm going to make it happen, John. I'm going to talk to the broadcasters. We're going to have you here for the Soweto Derby. I don't know when football's going to return again, but you know what? Your name is in the hat. I don't even think it needs to be in the hat. Your name is there. We'll just tell you when. Thank you. Look forward to it. Thank you so much, John. Stay strong. Stay safe. Bye for now. Oh, John Helm, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, it, it's, it's, I don't know. It, it's, it's surreal sometimes that you got to go through what we go through. And you got to go have conversations with the kind of people that we have conversations with at times. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's mightily ridiculous. But that was John Helm. Mm, I talk about him as if he's a friend of mine. But yeah, that's the voice of football around the world. And Auntie, he isn't your friend. I know he's not. I'm not going to claim him. Oh, no. I thought even Sir Beaumont is your friend. We just get to the people that the people need to hear yes. from. Huh? That is it. Yes. That is it. We don't claim. Do you know, we don't claim. You know, no, that sounds like saying, I know people who know people who know people. No, we just don't claim. Oh, yes.